glad that you're here tonight. Why don't you just smile real big and tell somebody the Holy Ghost is good. Amen. The Holy Ghost is good. Amen. I am thankful tonight for the blessings of the Lord, and I'm thankful for His touch. Amen. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians, the first chapter. I'm going to go back to a passage of Scripture that I preached from a few months ago, and uh, I'm not going to re-preach that by any means, but there is something in this passage that has just gotten a hold of me, and it's one of those things where I know that I don't have it all, but I hope I can say enough that maybe you'll get a revelation Let's read beginning with verse number 12 of Philippians chapter 1. Going to read down several verses, but go along with me if you will. He said, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So indeed, preach Christ, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. One preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. I love his attitude. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I am saying tonight that what Paul addressed here in this particular portion of Scripture is perhaps one of the most important spiritual principles that you and I will ever get a hold of. My subject tonight is this. Your problem could be your salvation. Say it with me. Your problem could be your salvation. Say it again. Now, I don't want you to say it to me. I want you to say it to yourself. Say it like this. My problem. My problem could be my salvation. Let me read it again. Paul said, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In this business of life, 
Mystery, I think, perhaps broods over it more than any other thing that I know of. Because there's just so much about life that we are hard-pressed to understand. There are explanations that we would dearly love for God to share with us that he chooses to keep to himself. There are answers that we so desperately desire to have and yet in God's infinite wisdom he chooses to not share those answers with us. And so we are called upon to live life with a certain amount of mystery involved. There's just some things that we cannot understand and there are things that are too hard for us to understand. I cannot stress to you enough tonight the importance of what faith does in the life of a man or a woman who possesses it. Faith is much more than just a hocus-pocus feeling or emotion, but it is an attitude and a spirit in which we go through life. If there was one message that I felt that I needed to preach to a congregation over and over again, it would have to be this message of faith. Not what you believe, but the fact that you do believe. Paul said, I am confident of this one thing. He that has begun a good work in me is going to finish that. There was a faith in the Apostle Paul and there was an assurance about him that helped him to understand that whatever the circumstance might be, God was still working for his good. Your faith and my faith can and will make a difference in life and its outcome. And if you don't hear anything else that I tell you tonight, you need to write that down and etch it in your heart, that your faith will make a difference in your life and in its outcome. If there was anything that you needed to work on strengthening, it would be your faith tonight. Not some magical thing that we often think faith is, that if you have enough of it, then God does good things for you. But I'm talking about a confidence and an assurance that is deep-rooted in your heart and nothing can shake it away or take it out of your grasp. No wonder the writer of Hebrews said that we are to not cast away our confidence because it has a great recompense of reward. There is a great payment that comes to a man or a woman that holds on to their faith, their confidence, their assurance that God knows where they are and God knows what's going on in their life. And somebody said, Amen. Something important for you and I to remember tonight is that faith's task is not to explain life, but to help me overcome it. This is the victory 
even our faith. So faith is not something that God gives to us. And the Bible said he dealt to every man a measure of faith. Faith is not something that God gave you to get something. Faith is something God gave you to help you overcome something. And that something is life. Faith's task is not to help me understand all the whys and the wherefores of life. It is not to help me understand why God sent a storm when he sent the storm. It is not for me to understand why God would send me into a storm. But faith is an assurance that if God sent me, he will keep me. And if God sent me to the other side, then my purpose is to get to the other side. And if I have to go on a broken piece of a ship, I'm going to get where God wants me to go. I read somewhere today that the Mediterranean Sea is the largest uh, inland uh, parcel of water in the world. I forgot how many, 900 and something thousand square miles. And the island that the shipwreck of Paul happened on was about 90 square miles. So you can imagine being in an ocean or a sea of 950,000 square miles. But God drove that boat to that one little tiny speck on the map. If you don't think God has his hand on your life, my friend, I don't know what else I can do to tell you that however big the ocean is, God knows how to get you where he needs you to be. That's a message right there. You think those winds are just driving you here and there, and they're not. They're driving you to your destiny. They're driving you to the place God wants you to be. There was an island that Paul needed to be on because there was going to be a miracle take place and there was going to be a help that was going to be rendered and God had it all in control. You see, faith doesn't give me a clear-cut explanation of life. It simply gives me the strength to face life, however it may come. Faith is the spirit that goes out into the midst of the unexplicable problems and shapes them for its own good, not allowing life to shape you, but you shaping life through the spirit in which you face it. I believe that the greatest test of faith comes when life shows us its worst side, when it shows us the ugly side. When we have to deal with the fallout of life. Did you hear what Paul said? He said these things have fallen out. Fallen out. I, I don't know why that phrase just got in my mind today. But I thought, Lord, what is the fallout of life for all these people I'm going to be talking to tonight? It, it, I, there's no way I could even begin to encompass all of the things that have happened when bad things happen, when things go wrong, I mean really wrong, and when things spiral out of control, faith is needed. It's, it, it, is, it comes to our aid when life shows us its worst side and how often that happens to us. And it takes faith to overcome that. You're not going to overcome it by being smart 
You're not going to overcome it by being exceptionally wealthy. Money's not going to buy you out of problems. Money can't buy you out of trouble. It can't solve your problems. It might help you enjoy a moment or two, but it can't fix a family. It can't fix a home. The only thing that can really turn anything around in your life is your faith in God. That God is going to see me through. Somebody said amen. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again tonight. The difference between men that win and men that lose is not the measure of their adversity. It is not the measure of their adversity. But it is how they respond to that adversity. The same storm broke on both houses. The same wind blew on both houses. The same rain fell on both houses. The same flood rose in both homes. But one of them stood and the other one fell because one was built on a foundation that could not be shaken. You hear me tonight. Whether or not I win in life doesn't have anything to do with what is against me. It has to do with what is within me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. Somebody ought to clap your hands and praise him right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So the difference is not in the measure of my adversity, but in what I do when that adversity comes. You see, the person of faith does not know more about the meaning of life and its problems than anyone else. They have just come to the place that they are confident that whatever comes to them in life, God must have been involved in it some way or the other. The devil may have brought it, but he couldn't bring it without God's permission. The devil may be behind it, but even if he is behind it, it had to pass the judgment seat of God, and God had to give the nod and say, okay, before he could ever take one step into your life. So don't ever get in the opinion that it's of the devil, so it must not be of God. It could be from the hand of the devil, and God's got his hand on the top of all of that. Amen. Some of you need to believe that tonight. You see, faith is not some magic ball that enables you to see into the future and know the outcome. Faith is the confidence that whatever it is, God's going to make sure it comes out right. Amen. Faith is simply the spirit within a man that challenges life to give up its hidden secrets and makes it pay its dividend. There is purpose in this pain. There is purpose in this problem there is purpose in this circumstance there is purpose in this confusion there is purpose in this hurt there is purpose in all of this craziness that's going on in life there is purpose and the man of faith says 
I am going to hold on to what God has given me because somewhere in this pain, somewhere in this problem, somewhere in my circumstances, God is going to work something for my good and I don't want to miss it. Amen. You see, the real issue of life are brought out when adversity appears. Amen. Everybody can shout and run the aisles when you've got everything going your way, when everybody loves you, when everybody's praying for you, when everybody's clapping you on the back and saying what a good person you are and they're building you up. Anybody can serve God when it's like that. You have to learn how to serve God when everybody forsakes you. And they all leave you, but you stay true to your purpose. You keep living for God. You keep doing what's right. Just because everybody else has gone crazy doesn't mean you have to go crazy. Anybody hearing me tonight? Amen. The real issue of life is fought when adversity comes and we find out what is in us. The difference between men is not the measure of their adversity, but what they do when it comes. And somebody said, Amen. Paul was a man of great power. He was a man of great character. He was a man of great giftings. And all of his life, even before he became a Christian, All of his life, he had been moving in and out of doors that had been opened to him. He had stepped through many doors in his ministry. And when he became a child of God and was born again of water and spirit, he continued to move through doors. The door to the Gentiles was open. The door to Asia was open to him. The door to Europe was open for him to evangelize. And all through his life, he had gone through these doors. But now we come to the book of Philippians and That part of the story of his life is ended. The day of the open door for the Apostle Paul was over. Now for him, the only doors around him were barred and bolted shut because he was a prisoner. And he had been off and on a prisoner for the last four to five years incarcerated. On this particular occasion... He would be, according to Scripture, held in prison for two solid years. How does that go with a person who considers himself born again? How does that set with a person, a tongue-talking, spirit-filled person? How does that go with somebody that's been baptized in his name and they carry his name over their life and yet for two solid years he sat in a prison He sat as a prisoner. He was held in chains and he was held in bonds. And yet something good came out of that. And Paul was able to write to the Philippians and encourage them and say, Hey folks, I want to tell you what I've learned in my prison. That my problem was my salvation. That the problems that I've had to go through... And the problems that I've endured are literally working for my salvation. And so here's the fallout of Paul's life. Here's what happened to him. Here's what transpired in that prison cell. 
when Paul realized that faith was still alive in his soul, he looked up from prison with the eyes of faith and he said to himself, there's got to be something in this that God's trying to tell me. There's got to be something in this that I need to know. There's got to be something in here that I've got to do. And that's exactly what happened. Amen. Paul mentions three things in the scriptures that we read from that were the fallout of his life. Number one, this problem, this imprisonment had brought him opportunity to do what he would have no otherwise been able to do under any other circumstance. The problem had given him a platform to preach the gospel to some people that he would have never, ever had the opportunity to preach to. His prison produced that. His imprisonment put him in, in, in contact with an echelon of men that under normal circumstances in that time, he would never have been given the opportunity to preach to. Number one, they were too hardened and they wouldn't have listened. But because of the way God worked the circumstances, they didn't have a choice. Man. And it was the Praetorian Guard. Paul said that he had been in a place where his bonds were being manifest in all the palace. The word that is used there for palace is the word that you get Praetorian from, and it was in fact in reference to the Praetorian Guard, which was the most elite of all of the Roman army. They were handpicked by Augustus in the beginning. There were 10,000 of them. They were the Navy SEALs of their day. They were hardened. They were battle-scarred. They were warriors. They were men that knew how to duke it out with the best of them. And they had reached this elite status. They were kind of like the group that, that, that guard the tomb of the unknown soldier. There's a certain amount of them. It's amazing what those young men commit to. That for two years they will live underneath that monument in Washington, D.C. They will not smoke. They will not drink. They will not party. They will not do a lot of... They deny themselves all of those privileges so that they can serve their country. And they do it without saying a word. And you watch the changing of the guard as they come and go. And those men are committed. They're an echelon of elite men. They're like the secret service. And so was the Praetorian Guard. Handpicked by Augustus. 10,000 in the beginning. But as time moved on, they were expanded to 16,000. And then they were moved to Rome. And they had special barracks set up for them. They didn't fraternalize with everybody else. They didn't socialize with everybody else. They had their own place. And they lived in their own world. And those men had become so powerful that by the time Paul had come along, they were actually the ones that swayed the elections. And whatever they decided and whoever they decided to be the emperor, those were the men who would be the emperor of the country. What a powerful legion of men. And would you believe it that when Paul got to Rome, 
he was turned over to the prefect of the Praetorian Guard. And from that point until two years after, every day, every hour of every day, every second of every day, there was one of those soldiers at least, if not two of them, chained to him morning, noon, and night. And whether they wanted to hear the gospel or not, every time Paul opened his mouth to pray, they heard about Jesus Christ. Every time he opened his mouth to encourage somebody, they heard about the blood that saved. They heard about salvation in a cross. Every day of their life for two solid years, they heard the gospel whether they wanted to hear it or not. And do you know what? If Paul had not been in prison and he had not been in that situation, he would have never had that opportunity to minister to those men and no telling how many of them were reached. Historian Josephus, the historian, said that he was so powerful in his preaching that a majority of them had been converted and so they had to change the guards out every few minutes because if they left them there more than 30 minutes, Paul would convert them. Huh. And here we are sitting in our little corner sucking our thumbs saying, I don't understand why God put me here. Open your eyes and look around. There may be a guard somewhere that God brought you in contact with that their only hope is the fact that you're there in that problem and you're there in that time to help them find the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Hallelujah. What an opportunity. What an opportunity. I mean, it's like God sliced it and diced it and served it. And even the Roman emperor didn't understand all he had done by his command. But he had orchestrated the purpose of God. He had fulfilled God's divine purpose. They would hear him preach and talk to his friends. They heard him pray every prayer that he prayed. They heard every word that was written by the scribe who was his assistant there. Every time he would send a letter out to a church, they heard every word of the New Testament. Perhaps at, all, at least the prison epistles, they heard them. My Lord, what an opportunity. I just wonder tonight, when I, I, I was wondering this afternoon, we may not be called on to suffer that type of imprisonment. But there are other kinds of prisons that you can find yourself in. It can be sickness. It can be infirmity. It could be a family distress. It could be a circumstance. There are many issues that can imprison us and put us in places that we don't want to be. And we gripe about it and we moan. And we're human. I do. I complain so many times. But maybe it's time for me to wake up and look around and ask, now why would God put me where I am? Why would God let me find myself where I am? Did I fail? Oh yeah, we can blame it on failure. But more likely than not, it's not on failure. It's on purpose that God put me where I am and he brought me to where I am so that I can open a door of opportunity to you that you would not have anywhere else in your life. There'll never be a chance to be a witness for God like you can be a witness for God right now. 
The world doesn't know how to serve God when you've got plenty of things going for you. The world needs to see people that can worship God even from a prison cell. They need to see people that can step into a church and throw off the spirit of bondage and say, Hey, I'm not bound. I'm freer than I've ever been in my life. I'm in the will of God. I'm where God wants me to be. I'm where I need to be. And we worship God. The world needs to see that. They need to see a witness that people can live through some hell and not become a demon. (laughs) How many things have we been called upon to endure that we didn't want to? And if we'd had our choice, we would have made sure that God heard it. I don't want to be here. I don't want to live in this house. I don't want to live in this town. I don't want to have this. I don't want to work at this job. And yet there's no other opportunity that opens. So what do you do? Keep griping? Open your eyes and look around. God may have put you there because he needed you to be there for somebody that might need to know that there's a way out. Where has God placed you so that someone could hear a message of hope from you? Where has God placed you so that somebody could hear about salvation or a deliverance, an unwanted place, an undesired place, a painful prison, and yet in my prison... Paul said, I have been given an opportunity like no other opportunity I could have ever been given. I would have never had the chance to preach to these Praetorian guards. But I have for the last two years, every day, every hour. Don't you think, Paul, don't you think it sunk into the consciousness of Paul of the opportunity when he started saying, it's almost humorous. I mean, The emperor worked this out. He's the one that ruled that we're going to Rome. He's the one that gave the ultimate nod of the head and said, yes, that's what's going to happen. And it was all in God's divine plan. What opportunity lies in my painful experience? What opportunity lies in my problem? Amen. Hallelujah. Anybody got any problems tonight? Your problem could be your salvation. It could be somebody else's salvation. Your problem could have put you in a place for God to display his glory in a life and show somebody somewhere that you can't overcome. You can beat addiction. You can beat depression. You don't have to cop out in life. You don't have to commit suicide. You don't have to do all the other things that people do when they get under stress and in a place of problem. You don't have to go out and kill other people like all these deranged idiots that are running around in our world right now. It happened just today. Some guy goes out and shoots six or seven people just because he hates people. Well, I don't know. You don't have to do that. When God puts you in a difficult place, I want to ask you a question. What is coming out of your prison? I don't like this. What's coming out of your prison? I'm so mad. I just don't understand. I'm so mad. God, you, you are. Kick the dog, scare the cat off. I better be careful. What's coming out of your prison? Listen to what Paul said. This is what came out of Paul's prison. He said, I therein do rejoice. 
yea, and will rejoice. That's what came out of his prison. What's coming out of my pain, my problem, my hurt? Oh, Brother Hughes, you just don't know. I'm not making light right now. Please, I'm being facetious. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But it's humorous sometimes how, how I, as a human being, try to get somebody to feel sorry for me. And what I really need is for somebody to say, hey, do you have faith or not? Faith works. Faith is better than me helping you pat you on the back and make your feelings better. What's coming out of your prison? What's coming out of your difficult place right now? Complaints, murmuring, meanness, madness, hurt. Some people go through problems and they become just mean-spirited. Some people go through problems and it mellows them and it balances them and it makes them men and women of God. And isn't that what it's supposed to be about anyway? All of these things have fallen out for the furtherance of the gospel. The second thing that Paul noted was that he had been given a ministry to others, not just to preach the gospel, but a ministry of grace. His imprisonment and his attitude and spirit in prison had helped encourage those out. And even there were some that were trying to make light of his imprisonment. I mean, what do you think about a preacher that's a jailbird? It's kind of hard to be proud of my pastor. He's in jail four years out of five. Most of you would not want to be associated with a church where your pastor was a jailbird. But he was a jailbird for the right reason, not for drinking and crowds and all that. He was just preaching the gospel. He was just doing good. And yet there was such confusion because it's hard to understand why God would let that happen. If this is the truth and this is the life and this is the way, God, surely there's got to be another way that it can be conveyed to the world than me having to go through these problems. And yet Paul found out that in the midst of his problem, there were others that were being encouraged. He didn't realize it, but he was giving strength to those on the outside. You know, it's good for somebody to see that somebody that's on the inside, that's bound by shackles and and that are not bound in their spirit. They may be limited in their ability to move about, but they're not limited in their spirit. There, There may be some limitations in your life, but one of them is not your faith. Your faith is not limited. Your faith is unlimited, and your faith reaches out, and it grasps and says, I will rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Yea, I will rejoice, and I will still rejoice. Whatever might happen, Paul didn't realize it. But they had gotten to see how grace in action can be. They saw the grace of God that was sufficient. They saw the grace of God that was adequate for the situation. They saw the wonder and victory of God's power in his life. Others saw his faith and were encouraged. They were strengthened to go on simply because they saw Somebody suffering and not sad. They saw somebody hurt but not mean. They saw somebody going through things but not going to pieces. Paul held on to his faith. But this is what I want to close with, and this is where I really need to get you to. What really was the great discovery for Paul 
perhaps most importantly, was the quality of life that he found himself in his bond. The quality of life that he found for himself. He used the word salvation. That's a very powerful word. The word salvation could mean a lot of things. And when we think of salvation, we think about redemption from sin, the price of the blood, all of that. But the word salvation that Paul used here was not speaking in terms of his soul or his, his relationship to God, but his salvation was of himself. It was, it, it was something that had happened inside of the Apostle Paul. The difficult place had given Paul not only a new ministry to guard that he would never have been preached to, and it gave him a ministry to others that were being encouraged by his suffering, but it had been good for Paul himself. It had been good for Paul to be here. Now, I don't know what was going on in Paul's life, but I know he had a lot of things to be proud of. He had a lot of revelation that he had received, and he even mentioned one time that God had given him a thorn in the flesh so that he would not be exalted above measure. There was so much that Paul could have been proud of, and there was so much that Paul had accomplished. And yet, even in this hour in Paul's life, God wasn't through working on him. There was still something in Paul God was trying to work out. Isn't it amazing how you can serve God for years and years and years and nothing seemed to go wrong, and then you get at a late stage in life and it just seems like everything breaks loose, everything falls apart, everything goes to pot. I mean, it's just like nothing works. Anybody, am I talking, am I just talking tonight? Does anybody know where I'm, anybody know where I'm at? I mean, you, you serve God faithfully, everything goes your way, God blesses you, God moves, God provides, and then all of a sudden, bam, you run up against a wall and nothing works. You put your finger to it, it turns to mud. You put your finger to it, it falls apart. You put your hand to it, it's sure going to be chaos. And you're looking at that and saying, God, how does this way out? How does this thing work? And somehow I feel like for the Apostle Paul that after all of these years of serving and after all that he had done, there was still something God was trying to work out in Paul. And somewhere in a prison, communing and praying and talking to God, God was able to work some things out in the Apostle Paul that helped him be a better man. I wonder tonight if my problem might not be my salvation. That if I didn't have that problem, God would not be able to save me from some things that could destroy me or could, could keep me from being what he wants me to be. I wonder how many of us tonight are going through things that if we had our choice, we would not want to go through at all. And yet God has allowed us. God has allowed it to happen. He's allowed it to take place. And here we are tonight, we wrestle with our feelings. And I, I'm, please don't misunderstand me. I, I know what it is to come into church and be mad. At others. <laughs> yeah. Mad at your kids, mad at your spouse, mad at your dog, mad at somebody, mad at your governor. What happened to Eddie? Anybody remember Eddie, I'm mad too. Some of that's too old for some of you. I know what it's like to, to, to wrestle with those 
human feelings. That doesn't mean that you're a bad person. That doesn't mean that you backslid just because you wrestle with the human emotions. But at some point, your faith has got to wrestle those emotions down and realize that somehow, something in this situation, God is trying to work something out in me so that I will be a better man and I will be a better husband or I will be a better person or I will come out of this in a better fashion than I came in. And so for Paul, it was a making of a man in prison here in this cell, locked up to these prison guards, day and night having somebody constantly Constantly at his side. Can you imagine how annoying that must have been? I mean, some of us have got to have our space. I mean, you just be so close so long that you just shut the door, get out, go home, leave me alone. Anybody like that? Oh, yes. Hardest lesson I ever learned as a young husband was that my wife needed some space and I wasn't supposed to be in it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I thought, I mean, just together all the time. Sometimes you just need, can you imagine what it was like for two solid years? He couldn't even get up and go to the bathroom without a soldier being with him. Now that'd get on your nerves. And yet somehow in the midst of all of this tension and strife and struggle and adversity, Paul realized God's doing something to me. He's doing, he, he's working something out in me. There was something in me I didn't know was still there. But God has had his hand on me all these years. And he's not let anything disturb me until he could get me to this place where he could work it out. And there in that prison, God was working. He said, and this is going to turn to my salvation. Not his spiritual salvation, but the saving of the man, Paul. He said, I'm going to come out of this a better person. When you have suffered, it takes the edge off of life. When you have suffered, somehow it mellows you. There's something about suffering that makes you look at life differently. It takes the swagger out of you. It, it takes that cockiness out of you. When you have been in the prison, some of you are there right now, and it's embarrassing what your kids can do and what your spouse did or what somebody connected to you or what, what this happened or that happened, and you're just saying, oh, God, and you just have to smile and live through some of that. You just have to lift your hands and praise God and, and, and act like everything is okay when down inside everything is killing you. Amen. Life has a way of taking the swagger out of us. It has a way of knocking the breath out of you. But we can be faithful to truth and be mean-spirited, and that's not the will of God. So God brings us into places where he can take stuff out of us that he couldn't get out of us anywhere else. He took me through this not just so I could build someone else up, but so that I could be built up. So that I could be made better. So that my life could be balanced. He took Paul there to do something for Paul and to Paul that no one else and nothing else could do. There may be qualities lacking in me tonight that God can only secure if he puts me in the right place of difficulty. If he puts me in the fire, that's the only way he can get the impurities out of my life. It's not something he does because he hates me. It's not something God does because he's mean. 
He does it for my good. When doubt beats on the door of your heart and when loneliness comes and when jealousy tends to stick its head up and when resentment is not far away from your lips, you need to remember what Paul said. This has become my salvation. Such a place is going to be your salvation and mine. God's going to do something in me in this place that he's not going to be able to do for me anywhere else. Thank God he's still working on me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank God he's still working on me. You know, some people think that's a derogatory statement, but I don't. I'd be sad tonight if God was through with me. Amen. I would be di- I would be disappointed if God had set me over on the side and said, "All right, buddy, that's that's all for you." I'm I'm thankful, even if it's in a prison, He's still working on me. Even if it's in some pain, He's still working on me. Even if it's in the middle of a problem, my problem has become my salvation. It can become something else. I know that. I know it can become a noose around your neck. It can be the torpedo that puts you down, or it can become your salvation. He can do it nowhere else but there. You see, the ore has great potential, but it can only be discovered when it is put through the test of the fire. I read that scripture in 1 Peter the other day, and the question that came to me was, what has the fire produced? What has the fire of my trial produced? I hope it's produced a separating of impurities and stuff that didn't need to be in my life and things that were, not, that were not helping me be what I need to be. I would hope that there would be a separation, that the good stuff would be, be coming together and the bad stuff would be getting in a place where God could just scoop it off. Amen. You know what's so beautiful about the refiner's fire is that the refiner is the only one that knows this. The ore doesn't understand it. The ore can't understand why the heat but the, 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 the refiner knows, and so he puts it in the fire. It's so hot. I, I remember standing it at, uh, at Branson this past fall, and, and we were watching them as they, they, they would blow this glass, and they would have to put it in one, one oven that was like 2,000 degrees. But to get it to the next level, they had to put it in 2,400 degrees of temperature so that it would get to the right elasticity so they could blow it and mold it. And I thought, God, how true it is of us. The fire that burns out the impurities is so intense that you and I can't even imagine. And when we first feel it, we think bad. We think it can't be good. Nothing beneficial can come from this. And yet the truth is that's the only way to separate the impurities from the gold. And the beautiful thing is that the refiner sits by the fire and he keeps scooping. Every time more of that stuff comes up, the scum, he will scrape it off. He'll scrape it off. He'll scrape it off. And when he knows the gold is ready, it's when he can see his reflection in the pot. When he can see his reflection, that's when he knows it's all done. We don't have to do any more fire. We can take it off. We can start using it to make a vessel out of. God have mercy. Oh, God's sitting on the fire. He's the refiner that's sitting by the fire. Sometimes you think, God, I've had enough. God said, no, a little bit more. (laughs) A little bit more stuff comes up. Your problem 
could be your salvation. Let's stand with him. You cannot get the impurities out of your life any other way. Oh, the blessedness of God's great surprise when he puts us in the fire, but the fire doesn't consume us. It only burns off what binds us. Amen. Woo. That's a powerful message right there. Amen. It only burned off what bound them. It didn't burn their clothes. It didn't singe their hair. Can you imagine? I say I'd like to be there, but most of us really don't want to be there. But those boys in that fire, thrown down, the Bible said, bound into the fire. And all the fire could burn off was what they didn't need. Whoo! Hallelujah. Yes. It burned off everything that bound them and hindered and limited their life. So that when the king looked down into the fire, he didn't see three men, he saw four. And you know what? You know it. The three Hebrew boys came out, but the one that was with them is still there in the fire. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. If that ought to comfort anybody, it ought to comfort somebody in the midst of a problem right now is that God's in the midst of the problem with me. Amen. Lift your hands and let's praise Him together.